I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Because whereas earlier, you know, if you go out and hunt and you hunt for survival, then you know that you need to give it a break to their hunting territory and you go hunt somewhere else and the amount you hunt is within a certain limit. You give a chance for the animals to bounce back. It's like it's sustainable. It lasted forever. But now you are immersed in a system in which wealth is not measured on the stuff you can use. Now you measure it in numbers. And numbers, there's never a limit. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu back with Mind Rolling. And today I have my uh, town mate. (laughs) <laughs> Kevin, we just talked about it. he also lives in Ojai and we haven't seen each other in a long time Danielle Bolelli welcome thank you for having me yeah it's funny that we are recording even though we are probably yeah we're like three minutes away. from each other let's just <laughs> make sure the YouTube people can see what we're doing um, yeah. so how have you been it's been a while we're just talking about we've had a lot of weird water under the bridge no yes indeed from pandemics to earthquakes did you guys oh. get the earthquake bad a yeah, month the ago earthquake or? in the middle of a hurricane kind yeah. of well it's tropical storm or whatever it was yeah yeah, yeah. we shook up we got that, shook up that was not fun that was not fun that was at real all. right yeah, that's I, probably the biggest. I mean, it wasn't that big. It's like little over five, five point one, something 5. like that. 1. Yeah, but we are right on the epicenter, so that felt like more than a five point one because we're right under it. So we had, you know, glasses breaking and stuff falling everywhere, yeah, no. and uh, not fun at all. And were then, you like, hear? Were you hear? Uh, 
what was it? A long, long, long time ago? Were you in LA in 94? No, I mean, two, no, 94, 1994, <laughs> when the big one, 6.7 in Chats or wherever. Northridge. Northridge, uh, yeah. yeah. Were you here? Yeah. No, I actually had gone back. I mean, I was here in general, but those days I won, I was back in Italy. And so, like, I got a call from my mom who was here, who was like, I'm okay. And I'm like, that's nice. I'm okay too. Like, what's <laughs> up? And she's like, oh, there was this huge quake. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. No. Oh, boy. It was, that was, yeah. No, it, it's amazing how the difference between, what's that, five to six, you know, one and a half more, but each small uh, yep. increase is like hundreds fold. Yeah. More powerful. And so, scary so, stuff. Tell us what you've been up to lately, Danielle. And uh, Danielle, teach. Are you still teaching? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. teach um, mostly. I'm teaching online, uh, one day a week. Like yesterday, I have to drive in Santa Monica to go to Santa Monica College to teach. Oh, you? Oh, uh-huh. man, man. I'm not used to driving anymore. It sucks. I was like commuting. <laughs> Especially on the yeah, on the on that 101 for me. <laughs> it's yeah, I was. Uh, I drove for like five hours to just teach one class. I'm like, this oh. is ridiculous. That can be good. <laughs> but, um, yeah. What's so the been, class on? What are you teaching? That one was a U.S. history class. So I do all kind of history classes, history, Native American history, U.S. history, history of religions, which is kind of a fun uh, intro where, you know, very bird eye view, very basic stuff, but like mm. as an intro class. And so, you know, I have fun, but most of them are online. Just, you know, uh, uh, I was, uh, uh, Danielle's a writer, a philosopher. He's got, you know, a lot of interesting uh, perspectives and points of view, which we'll hopefully get into here. Uh, but one thing I was looking at, uh, I was actually looking at your recommended reading list. Uh-huh. And and a couple of the Native American elders, uh, one being Crazy Horse, which is, uh-huh. I feel real connection to many, many, many yep. people doing that damn book is not available. Uh, you know, it's such a bummer. But how about just because you have really gotten into not just him, but some some of the other uh, elders that uh, are very well known. Just uh, I've been thinking, and in fact, we're uh, I'm in the middle of engaging with somebody to to begin an indigenous podcast mm-hmm. as part of the Be Here Now network. Yep. And uh, this is a person who's Aztec me- Mexicano. Uh-huh. And uh, she is very, very involved with many of the elders, not just here in, in America, but uh, worldwide. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is in terms of what's going on in our world now, particularly uh-huh. about not just about the environment, but particularly about the environment. I mean, and this is no news to anybody. We need that wisdom, indigenous wisdom. We need to bring back something that we have lost through our, our move from into the industrialized uh, uh, last couple of centuries or whatever. Uh, that's just and capitalism and everything that's that it. we're doing is the opposite. Of, and we're proving it. We yep. are proving it. It's the opposite of what needs to happen. Talk a little bit about what you gleaned from your uh, relationship with this study in particular and, and this, uh, these uh, incredible elders. Yeah, I was actually, I was talking about some of the stuff you are hinting at just yesterday in a class. 
because I was talking about the fur trade, you know, when like French fur traders came in Canada and like, well, it wasn't Canada back then, but you know, the area that's modern day Canada, Great Lakes area. And, you know, the interaction that they set up with the tribes was uh, for the most part a friendly one. It was a place of exchange where, you know, people exchange uh, force from, uh, for metal tools and culturally they mix. There was a lot of intermarriage. There was a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. right? The problem, though, of course, is that once you're immersed in what was essentially a proto-capitalist economy, that changed completely the balance with nature. Because whereas earlier, you know, if you go out and hunt and you hunt for survival, then you know that you need to give it a break to their hunting territory and you go hunt somewhere else and the Mm. amount you hunt is within a certain limit, you give a chance for the animals to bounce back. It's like it's sustainable. It lasted forever. But now you are immersed in a system in which wealth is not measured on the stuff you can use. Now you measure it in numbers. And numbers, there's never a limit. There's never a point where it's like, okay, this is enough. Now we, have, we are done trading. We are good. You know, I, I have my axe. I have my gun. I have my house. I have my, I have everything. When something breaks, we'll trade again. But until then, I'm good. No, now you're in a system in which you can always add uh, somebody is thinking, yeah, I like the money I have in the bank, but I wouldn't mind doubling it or tripling or quadrupling or because there's no limit to that, right? You can always be wealthier when it comes to numbers. Whereas you can only live in so many houses, you know, you live in one house, you can eat only so much, you know. So if you talk about an economic system that's based on stuff you use, is very different from an economic system that's based on number. It's more abstract and it can go on forever. It, it never, there's like an Ojibwa myth about the Windingo. And the Windingo is this creature. It's like this demonic creature that the, is, a, is a cannibal. And the more he, he eats something or somebody, the hungrier he gets. So it, it never really satisfies that anger. It's mm. constantly, you know, you think like, oh, he has done it, he has eaten, so we're good for a while. No, now he's hungrier yet. Mm. In the we, East, that's called the realm of the hungry ghosts. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a textbook representation of yeah. the economic system we live in, you know. Mm. It's exactly how it's built, where it's never enough. It's always the... And the funny thing, too, is that I think it relates to, to our culture in the level of um, lack of satisfaction. Like you see people who have ton of money and resources and have access to all the best things and they are absolutely miserable. They never really enjoy the houses they live in. They never taste all the fancy food because they are their mind is constantly racing to the next thing, to what I can do to make it like their self-esteem is tied to a set of numbers, their sense of yeah. identity is tied. And it's a terrible, terrible way to live. First and foremost for them, and then for anybody else who gets to be consumed by the gluttony that kicks in. Mm. And then add in the attachment to the power uh, over environment, people, situations. And that realm is also has no end to it whatsoever yep and i think that's what we're looking at what how do we how do we even consider 
I mean, I know, I, for instance, here's a for instance. I went to MAPS, uh, you, you know, MAPS, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Psychedelic, yeah. Yeah. Rick Doblin and his people. They had a big convening in Denver a couple of months ago. And I did go, we were presenting on Ramdas's behalf because obviously okay. we're the OGs of psychedelics. Yep. And the first thing I encountered was this really lovely, lovely man, an indigenous person in California from one uh -huh. of the tribes there. And uh, it was profound how he spoke to exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. But... I may, there was maybe one, uh, I mean, this was a huge convention hall with many, many, you know, you've been to them, many, many different rooms with different programs going on and presentations and so on. I mean, there was 12,000 people there, so it was extraordinary. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, let's just say a, a number of them were on the make for, you know, getting funded for whatever they were trying to do. Sure. So, the, which is normal. But there was, I only, I mean, maybe there was more but really just several presentations. You know, anybody from MAPS, if you're listening and I'm wrong, I'm so very sorry because I have absolutely no real <laughs> proof or numbers except my own experience while I was there. How do we, and with so much to offer, I mean, so much. How do we, how do we bring that back? How do, how do we, how do we even, like you're, you're a perfect uh, example. By doing what you're doing is is a is a way for people and young people if they're going to college for the most part uh, to understand there is another path. Uh -huh. What else? Yeah, yeah. It gets tricky because we get into you know when we're trying to affect the culture at large. It gets into a problem of things that I don't think either you or I are particularly skilled at, which is things like marketing or how do you essentially sell an idea to a mass. Because, you know, you, you don't want just to have your three friends who see something that they really enjoy and you yeah. share it. You want to pass it along in a wide enough way that it is an impact on the culture, on large numbers of people that ultimately leads to a better world. But then now you're at a problem of like mass communication. It's like, how do you convey great ideas in a way that's, uh, that quote unquote sells? And I don't mean sells economically, but sells like you gain enough of a mainstream following that people get to hear these things. Because that's the problem of like modern, like internet and everything else that we have access to. You know, we can put out there any content we want, but how are people going to even know that it's there? let alone be in an environment where people typically give you about five seconds before they switch to the next thing. Yeah. How TikTok do you, world we live in, yeah. Yeah, how do you hit it where suddenly becomes a hit and everybody's checking it out? Because that has been puzzling me a lot. Like I look at the things that are successful, quote-unquote, and the things that are not. And sometimes I'm like, why in the world does this one... This is identical, and this one is you. Like, the other day I was uh, in the car with my daughter, and we're listening to music, and she's really big into music and singing and sings, and so we're, like, I play two songs for her, and I'm like, what do you think? Like, they have a similar vibe. What's your take on it? And she's like, well, they are both fantastic. They are really well done. They 
roughly same level. You know, I, I like well, who them both. was it? I'm interested because how old is she now? 15, 16? She's 14 now. 14, she's 14. Yeah. And so the first one, I'm like, well, the first one is Amy Winehouse. Oh, and so she sold just talking like about it today. Wow. three gazillion copies. And the second one is a friend of mine. And I think his mom bought two copies and three of his friends. And he was like, this is some this other song that you think is a pretty much on the same level as the Amy Whitehouse one is something that probably 50 people have bought. And she was like, How can that be? Then the quality is pretty much there mm-hmm. in both of really? them. And I'm like, it's not about that. the quality is like one of 500 factors that go into something being a success or not. Mm. And uh, and you know, we, we like to think that it's all about the quality. The quality is like, you know one of many, 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 many things that go into something being a hit or not. Uh, did you read uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? Yeah, long time ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Time ago, but, yeah. yes. but one of the central things is quality, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. Riffs in the book. What is quality and who knows quality? And And he insisted... There are people that know quality above other people who uh-huh. say they know quality, but they don't know quality. Right. And, and what defines that is is a good part of this book, by the way. It's a great book, everybody out there, if you want to read something cool. Um, and and one of the things uh, is analogous to a motorcycle. Yes, a person walks up to a motorcycle and, oh my, that's, and they take it apart part by part, and put it back together. Not, you know, it takes a day, a week, whatever it is, but that's their joy. That's Another up. person walks up, and they kind of, I'll use the term, you know, a grok, <laughs> absorb the essence of that's this up. incredible Harley or whatever it might be, and just it feeds their soul in that instant, in that moment. These are the two Different kinds of characters uh, in terms of how we relate in this world. Uh-huh. So I have to say, go back to Amy Amy Winehouse. That is quality. I mean, not to disparage, Sorry. you know, who this other person or anything like that. But there's a certain something in her, you know. And I, uh-huh. I've spent a lot of time around musicians. I was in the record business, so you know, it's been part of my life for sure. And there's a certain quality. It's. Now, I have seen that charismatic quality. I mean, poor dear, she was really traumatized, obviously. Uh, But that charismatic quality is, is you can't touch it. Yes, sir. You know, it's, it's, it's beyond a rational thing. It's part of the ineffable that we have talked about before that cannot be described. So I think, yeah, I think there's a reality there given, you know, what to do about, hey, this song is as well produced as the other uh-huh. song and, uh, you know, and carried off by the singer. Just, you know, there's an, there is that ineffable quality. And yeah, we're getting away from, or are we getting away? The reality, <laughs> I mean, I, I keep wanting to go back to what do we do to bring in this indigenous wisdom back into our into our society into our lives and and I know we were talking about uh, you know things go out on the internet and you have no idea whether uh-huh. or not they're uh, you know they're going to get an audience for them you know and that's uh, and more bullshit goes out uh, you know yeah. <laughs> than than not 
but there still is a substantiality to certain people who have that ability to convey something in a charismatic way. Can you, I don't know why I keep thinking about this, Danielle, but um, Crazy Horse. You you did study his history, etc. Can you just give us an idea of who this, because most people think Crazy Horse was a warrior and the white people came and wiped out his his tribe, and then he went back and went, you know, which is completely not what uh, reality is. Yeah, the Crazy Horse story is, um, I mean, that's as beautiful and as tragic as a story as you're ever yeah. going to run into, you know. It's, uh, he's still, I did it, yeah, in a, in a very, I think that's my first long series on History on Fire, where, oh, really? you know, usually I was doing maybe two episodes, and that one I started, oh, I'll do two an episode or two on Crazy Horse, and then it blew up in like four episodes, two hours each, oh. so I just Are did they there? This, uh, they're available? Yeah, yeah, then? yeah, yeah, they're so available. these I are podcasts, uh, right? Yeah, they are, it's History on Fire episode, I want to say, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Wow. And they, uh, they are all life story of crazy horse from beginning to end wow. and it's um one of the things that always fascinated me about crazy horse is that the guy went through an ungodly amount of trauma in his life starting from the fact that his mom hanged herself when he was only like five years old or something so he was so traumatized that he didn't speak for two years and then, uh, you know, so many of the people he loved and cared about. He saw from his brother to a good friend to his own daughter to all sorts of people who died around him. And so there was this paradox with Crazy Horse of him being this, you know, he clearly had some interesting mystical qualities because on one hand, he did not fit the prototype of the classic Lakota man. You know, most Lakota guys are they like themselves a lot. There's this part <laughs> of the culture is being a little fleshy and macho and tough. Yeah. And, and Crazy Horse is very soft-spoken really? to the point of being like people thought, you know, in modern terms, they think maybe he was a little autistic. Maybe there was, because he wouldn't, hard of most of the time, he didn't look people in the eye. He had his eyes going all over the room. He spoke very little. He didn't really... And then, you know, he had this charisma and these abilities that no one else had. And so people were like, you know, it's sort of the archetype for the strong, silent type. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so on one hand, he has this insane power on multiple levels. And on the other hand, all this power does not allow him to protect the people he loves. And so there's that point of like, what's even the point of having this power if you cannot protect the people you love? You know, and that shows up in his life time and time and Mm -hmm. time again. And it's, um, it really adds this, uh, I I think, yeah, there's that paradox that on one end you're attracted to this guy's insane charisma and powerful personality. And on the other end, you see him getting his heart broken time and time again through both his personal life and what was happening with the Lakota at the time and everything else. So it's, uh, it's a heavy story. It's a beautiful but heavy story. Mm. But he was really connected to his visions. I mean, he was yeah. really connected to the other planes of consciousness. In a, and that's how I remember. Yeah. And it's been a long time since I've read or had any kind of uh, connectivity to him. 
Yeah, there's even a story about him uh, as far as, um, like, he, supposedly he, when he went on a vision quest, which is like this four-day thing where you fast, you abstain from water, you abstain from food, you're away from everybody, and you are essentially appealing to spirits to give you a vision that would help you or guide you in life. And so during one of these things, he he had this vision and he was essentially told that he would be untouchable on the battlefield, that as a warrior, he would be completely safe in battle. If he did all these things to like ritual preparation and certain paint he would have to wear and things that would connect him to the, to the spirits. However, he would be vulnerable when his own people were holding him back. And the tale is that then he was this absolute badass on the battlefield where because he strongly believed in it, he sometimes would charge in the middle of enemy to rescue a friend and bullets are flying everywhere and nothing ever happens to him. Mm-hmm. But then when uh, the, when he dies is when, uh, you know, the US government wants to arrest him and they are essentially setting him up by promising him a meeting, doing this thing, yeah. and then they go to arrest him. And one of his former friends is actually grabbing him when he's trying to escape. And that's when a soldier sticks a bayonet through him and kills him. Mm. And so again, it's that weird thing of like untouchable in battle, but touchable when it's in that context and essentially sort of betrayed by some people. Mm. Boy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a heavy where, one. Where, where is the source of the material about him? So that's a tricky one because uh, there's this lady, Mary Sandos, who wrote this book, this biography of Crazy Horse. But, you know, she had maybe 13 pages of single space notes that she took with uh, some Lakota elders who are contemporaries of Crazy Horse. But she ended up writing a 200-some page book that is like... Okay, you may be running with this material a little, you know. So Mm -hmm. the odds are there's some fictionalized element in it. So what you get is uh, some of the Sandos interviews, uh, some interviews with other people who were contempt. So male interviews done in like the 1930s, 1940s, people who were still alive, Mm -hmm. who uh, knew him when they were kids. And, um, And then, you know, you find the info for mainly the last, year or two of his life when he was in much closer contact with uh, American authorities. And then you have, you know, the diaries of an officer or official reports or things like that. So so it's it's a mix of oral tradition with some of these documents. Well, we got to, we should, we should do a mission and find this book and then, you know, somehow get it published or something. This is the kind of thing that, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, how do we bring this back into the zeitgeist of TikTok? <laughs> okay. How yeah. Do we do you know, I'm, go ahead. Yeah. I've done a bunch. I mean, in History of Fire, which what I do is I take any topic in history and do a deep dive, research a lot, mm. and then try to convey it in a way that's a little more user friendly in terms of making it entertaining. And, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and I've done, a lot on native stuff. You know, I did this uh, big series on Crazy Horse. I did an even bigger series on Sitting Bull and the Ghost Dance and mm-hmm. Wounded Knee. I did another one of the Clash over the Black Hills. And I plan to do 
many more to come. So it's a theme that's very dear to my heart and that I try to, without making it so that it becomes a Native American podcast, but it's it's a sub-theme in the overall history of fire that I keep going back to and I dedicate really? a ton of episodes to. All right, not to talk shop here, but uh, we've, we've got to figure a way out where we can put some of this material on, on the, our Be Here Now network, okay? Sound like a plan. Talk, we'll talk offline about that, but that's, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's something that came to mind. Did you ever see this uh, TV series called uh, Reservation Dogs? I know of it. I'm not sure. Uh, it's a series or a film? Yeah. It's a series. series. It's three seasons. I think they are just wrapping up season three that it's going to be done. I, so I've heard, of, I've read about it. Yeah. So there's this guy, Sterling Harjo. He's a native writer. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, he tried to pitch native projects, didn't go anywhere. And then finally something clicked that now everybody wants him. He's doing Reservation Dogs is a huge hit. And it's incredibly well done. Really? Um, yeah, there's, I mean, okay, let me qualify it. There are some episodes that I'm like, what just happened here? Because I find the episode bland and boring. But then the next one is, you're like crying. It's so beautiful. And oh, it's wow. so funny and emotionally intense at the same time. And you really deliver a sense of uh, like real native life, not stereotype, wow. not uh, really well done. And so I like the fact that a guy like him who, Ten years ago, nobody would have let him do something like this. And now it's happening and it has a following and this is going to open the door for other yeah, projects to come good. in. And right. So oh, that's so great. Really great. Yeah. Um, well, all's to say that uh, I, I just absolutely believe we can do a lot more by simply absorbing some of this wisdom. Uh -huh. And then um, making sure it's available to TikTok generation, for yep. sure. Yep. And, you know, one thing we're doing, which is not in any way comparable to what we are talking about, but in a loose way because of your saying, well, what? how does some stuff go viral and some uh -huh. stuff doesn't on the net and all that? So we're doing, this is a bit of a commercial too, I have to confess <laughs> Okay, for Ramdas.org, uh, we're doing a a four-week course that starts next month, okay, and uh, in October. And Alan Watts and Ramdas. And Beautiful. we pull together various themes that they address. It's like they're on different sides of the a mountain, right, okay. in terms of perspective. But as you go up the mountain, they meet each other right at the top. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, to the, the OGs of bringing mystic uh, east to to the west. So how do we're thinking? Okay, how do we how do we get? You know, we'd love for people on TikTok to be able to access this. Uh, aside from the fi fi actually financial stuff, anybody can join. Uh, you know, with you know, if they have five bucks, you know, they can do it. Okay. So. Um, it's a whole new animal, TikTok. I mean, in the I mean, there's the obvious, really, you know, the conspiracy stuff, the misinformation, uh -huh. all of that. But then there's also real yep. content, yep. and the way that that content is processed is completely about some kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody who is got enough charisma 
to get the attention of, of whoever's watching and be able to uh, share something with them that resonates. I mean, it, it's an amazing thing. So I, I just, I, the reason I brought that up, because I've been wondering, okay, is there any interest for these old fogies on one hand, but that the content is not old fogey, that content is as present as we are right now. And how, how do we at least present it? Ramdas wanted us to make sure that we, on the platforms that, you know, evolve, that whatever new generation has access to the material. This, this was a thing in, that he told me as a director. And so now we're experimenting. We have this incredible young woman on TikTok that represents uh, Ramdas and everything we do. And and she, uh, I'll ha I'll send I'll send it out to you. I can, actually we should put it in the. Uh, you guys that are doing the back end of this thing uh, in the show notes, let's put a link to Aiden's TikTok video. That would be a great thing because it's it's really quite amazing. But points to what you're speaking to about how yes, one thing gets viral and one thing doesn't and and you know the internet is a now it's developing more and more and more you know more complexities and more difficulty really yep, yep. So. yeah but i think it's uh it's a key question that you ask is like how do you take some things whose power is eternal they are these wonderful things i mean people like ramdas or alan watts from just a generation or two ago but even things like you know, if you go to the roots of what they are going to, if you are going for some of those key ideas, we're talking about centuries and centuries ago, millennia ago, some of these ideas. Yeah. How do you repackage them in a way that speak to people today, which in some ways what all these guys have done in phenomenal fashion. I mean, it's even guys like you wouldn't think like, you know, Alan Watts, you think him as a philosopher, but th think like somebody like Bruce Lee. Is you know, Kung Fu flicks and actor, and yet he managed to repackage some Taoist ideas yeah. and bring them to an audience in a completely novel way that would have never been exposed to this stuff. And so some people only saw the Kung Fu flick action, but other people got into it and actually were, uh, the ideas got there. And, uh, and that's brilliant right there. It's like, that's a way that I would have never thought it would be something that would speak to people. And yet... That's an adaptation of those eternal principles in a modern context. Yeah, yeah. goes back to um, quality. Yep. <laughs> Some people, absolutely, I agree with, I can't remember who wrote that book, Zen and the Others, or the Motorcycle Maintenance, but I, I do tend to agree. I have met many people, especially in the arts, who have a sense of what is quality and what is not quality. Uh, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of people who say that and unfortunately don't really live it for whatever reason. Um, okay, before we go anywhere, I'm, here's, this is uh, Danielle's website, okay? And I'm going to quote something. Answering hopelessness, we have a lot of problems with hopelessness right now, and that's a whole other discussion. Yep. Um, answering hopelessness with a defiant smile and a raised middle finger. Okay. <laughs> All right. Give us the, uh, as they say in Yiddish, the emis on that one, the truth. Well, I think is I've had uh, my share of fairly awful things happening in my life. And, you know, there are, I, I think 
I'm not saying anything particularly original because we all do at one point or another. We, uh, we all, all have, even if, yeah, I mean, just the day-to-day now is, yeah. you don't have to even have it personal. It's still so gigantically and enormously oppressive, the yeah. suffering. You have to be completely cut off if you're not, you know, taking in some of that. And, you know, and that's a whole other thing about how to process that properly. But yeah. Hundred percent, and so we all go through stuff. We all see people we love uh, fall sick and die. We all see, you know, we all go through those existential conditions of life that are insanely brutal. And so there are moments where you feel that the universe is out to squash you, which of course is not, but it feels that way, right? Mm-hmm. It feels almost personal. Like what else, you know? Yeah. And so to me, in my moments of uh, where hopelessness really hits hard, I found it empowering to put the accent on defiance, you know, because when people are like trying to, oh, look at the bright side, I'm like, what bright side? There's, you know, all <laughs> sort of horrible things happening. Don't try to put a pink ribbon on it and it's nice. It's not. It's crap. It's terrible. <laughs> so for me, is <laughs> uh, keeping it real. Like, yeah, this is absolutely horrible and hopeless and painful and none of that I'm trying to spin it in a way to pretend that it's not but at the same time there's the little defiance that kicks in where it's like okay everything that has been taken away from me more stuff will be taken away from me but I have this one moment right here right now on which I can enjoy I can have power over this moment that's the only place where I have agency right? Right here, right now. And while I have no power to affect what's going to happen or what has already happened, I have a power to smile right now and to crack a joke right now and to laugh together with a friend right now and to have, with no illusion that it's going to change the ultimate outcome. But for now, I'm still here and I'm still enjoying it kind Mm. of thing. And, you know, there's this it's such a great feeling where you're feeling like the walls are closing in on you and you can say, not yet, right here, right now, I can still make it good. Mm. And um, yeah, to me, it's what in many occasions has saved my mental health in particularly rough circumstances has been this uh, uh, enjoying the paradox of finding something beautiful and powerful in a condition that's terrible. Mm, yeah, beautifully said. You know what? There's a term for this, and it's around hope. Uh, some time ago, I mean quite some time ago, I had a conversation, or I think it was probably a podcast w- with her, maybe with Duncan too, I can't remember. That's it. And uh, it was around the concept of hope. Oh, I think it was something we were going to do at a retreat with Ramdas and Maui. That's and she was like, Hope, huh? And she went, well, that's pretty woohoo-ish, hope. She didn't put it like in that uh-huh. term. Yeah. I would rather use the term wise hope. Uh, and what that. you just expressed to me is wise hope. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, you would have been right uh, sitting next to Ramdas about be here now. Uh, you just express <laughs> be here now, and and be here now is a component of wise hope. But uh, you know what we talked about was 
people have hope, so they have expectations of an outcome which will be pleasant. And if it's not pleasant, it just pushes away any kind of uh, any kind of darkness. That's it. And wise hope encompasses everything. It's taking positive action in the moment. Does that sound? Yeah, hundred percent resonates with me. And and to me, it's more real because so much of the motivational speaking kind of stuff revolves around trying to pretend that it's all great, that it's all beautiful without addressing the bad part. Because there is something where you can say, okay, at the end, you know, is the classic, can't you see everything is perfect? Where it's yeah. like, wait, what do you mean? It's not. But, you know, it, it, there's a way to say that encompasses the totality of it. And there's a way to say that's like trying to pretend that the bad stuff doesn't yeah, exist or it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And yeah. and that's, subs- if I, I remember once I was showing, my daughter was really little back then. And I showed her this video of this guy. It was a nice guy, but I was putting the accent a little too much on the everything is for the best. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't say anything and I just yeah. showed it to my daughter and she let out a series of uh, unrepeatable comments but she was not <laughs> amused she was like yeah sure your mom just died isn't that great it's for the best look at your port she was really <laughs> mad about it she was oh, like really? no That's it's great. not it's sometimes crap is crap sometimes <laughs> terrible things are terrible things now once we agree that they are terrible things then we figure out how to move on, how to find a way not to get crushed by it. But to skip that step, to pretend that there's no, no, it's not really suffering. It's an opportunity. It's a be- yeah. It's like, we need to get there. There's a yeah. process to get there. Yeah. Don't rush to the conclusion. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all perfect, that statement. Uh, this is a story I've told it before, but uh, I don't know if you know it. Um, Ramdas, when we were in India with him, with Neem Karoli Baba, uh-huh. he, the, the war happened um, uh, in, uh, in the east, uh, Pakistan on, what the hell, Bangladesh. Uh-huh. That's yeah. what, it wasn't called that then, but that, there was a yeah. war between, over the territory. So Ramdas had this Volkswagen bus, and he thought, I'm going to take the bus, and I'm going to go there, and it could be great. It could be used as an ambulance and so on. So he told Neem Karoli Maharaji. And Maharaji said, no, forget about that. Ramdas, don't you know it's all perfect? <laughs> okay. So Ramdas would relate this story and the way he related, no, I do not know it's all perfect, <laughs> but I understand coming from a being that is no longer polarized or there's no me and them that, yeah, yeah but that's a vantage point that's way beyond my pay grade. So... In this, fact, yeah. uh, my reference was a quote exactly to that because yeah. I remember listening to like a Ramdas tape when he was uh, telling yeah. this story. Oh, yeah. And I was like, you know, it's funny because when I hear it from him, I agree. If I hear the same thing from somebody else, I'll be like, ah, shut up. You don't know what you're <laughs> exactly. talking about. Exactly. Because there's a different something behind it you know it's like there's a difference if you've gone through certain steps to get to that conclusion or you're rushing to the conclusion because you don't yeah. want to deal with the steps yeah exactly yeah and, no, uh, the spiritual bypass shit. Yeah, yeah 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 hey there's here's a great thing to talk about i saw uh, something you wrote you received a text from a friend asking are you free do you remember that 
<laughs> so great. I start, so I'll read it just for fun. Sure. I start working on a thoughtful answer. Even though I don't buy the notion that there's no such thing as free will, I don't buy the notion that there's no such thing as free will. It strikes me as intentionally lazy. I still ponder if anybody can truly say they are free in a universe that often feels void of care and compassion, a universe ruled by impermanence, a universe in which our choices are severely curtailed by accidents of luck, physiological states out of our control, the ex existential awareness of our mortality and of the transitory nature of life. Is anyone truly free in a context in which the circumstances of nature feel so arbitrary and random and yet so crucial in determining our, in determining our option? Then it occurred to me that friend was just asking if I was free for a call. <laughs> he went into a beautiful philosophical treatise. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes it's fun, right? You yeah, can go yeah. into like fun. Deep philosophy of that ultimately it's a joke, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, so great. But the idea, uh, okay, this is another thing that uh -huh. came from Neem Karoli Baba because Ramdas said to him, Are karma and grace the same? Meaning, taking action within the reality of that which we can't even name. Uh -huh. That's one way to put it. And Maharaji, you know what he said to him? I can't, I don't, I'm not talking about this in public. <laughs> Those people Far around, <laughs> right? What kind of answer is that? So anyhow, uh, later on, Maharaji sent somebody to Ramdas, and he said, Maharaji said, Ramdas understands me perfectly well. Okay, so Ramdas thought, okay, in the end, beyond duality, they are one. There's uh -huh. not two things going on. And then I myself asked uh, this. Uh, her name is Siddhima, someone who is our Indian mother, who was close to Neem Karoli Baba for 50 years or whatever. I told her the story and I said, what's, Ma, what's the truth here? You know, what's, what's the reality, not the truth? <laughs> you would know what the truth is, that movie. Uh, I love that. Um, and she said, that is the truth. That is reality. They are one. But as a human who is still caught, she didn't say it in these elaborate words, but as That's a it. human who is still caught in polarization, duality, within themselves, never mind outside themselves, you have to take action. So until you get to the place where you understand it's all perfect, she didn't say that either, but until, you know, you've got to take action. Living in a place where, yeah, it's all karma and grace. It's part of the same woohoo that you were talking yeah. about before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how, you know, sometimes I see that duality in, um, like, me and my lady have a radically opposite way of approaching life. Oh, yeah? And sometimes I think I would rather be her than me because, uh, you know... <laughs> My approach is I see things that don't work or I see situations that could be made better to help people, to make life better, you know, all this stuff. So my thing is work like a dog, bend over backwards, figure out a way to improve the situation so that we can be happy. And, you know, I'm good at that. I work hard, I'm disciplined, I do this and that. And she has, it sounds bad when I say like that, but it's actually a compliment. She has no ambition whatsoever. 
She's, uh, however, you throw her in any situation and she's going to be happy. You throw her, like me, you throw me in a bad situation. I'm going to heroically work to make it matter. <laughs> I know all about it. <laughs> she I'm right there with you. going to do nothing probably about it, but she's still going to find a way to be happy mm. without changing external reality one bit. Mm. And so sometimes I look at her and I'm like, you basically are at a state of consciousness where I have to work like a dog to get there briefly, have that moment where I'm like, ah, now it's great that there's the next battle that kicks in. Whereas you are in that, ah, this is great state constantly, regardless of the situation. Now, I think there's something to be said about the ability to affect reality and quote unquote, make the world a better place. But there's also something to be said about the ability to just find that spot where external reality doesn't affect you so bad in any situation. And and given that they are opposite talents, I kind of like her talent more than mine <laughs> because it's yeah. like... But it is a let, contentment yeah. is how it might, you know, some people are yeah. able to be in the moment in, in a kind of contentment that is not yep. pushing or pulling them. Yep. That, that is a great quality. You are lucky. Yep, yep. So I look at her and I'm like, you are my... Zen master who probably doesn't even know what Zen is or doesn't care to define it, but you leave it in a way yeah. that I, you know, I can theorize about it, but I'm not there like you are. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, and I've seen you recently, like, you know, my daughter will go through something. So I'll talk with her for like a day or two and we go for hours and hours and, you know, she appreciates it and I see Maybe I shift ten uh, percent of her perception in a direction that seems a little better, and then like she'll talk with my lady and they'll bullshit around over nothing. And then my lady will say one thing, and my daughter' perception goes and like shift by eighty percent in ten <laughs> seconds. And I'm like, how did that happen? You know, I'd be <laughs> working okay. like a dog to change ten percent, and you just go well, flip the fingers, and it happens like that. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Um, also, I came across something else from you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's about, I'm a huge fan of a concept I refer to as small discipline. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you remember that. Yep. Um, well, yeah, most of us are certain. We know, you know that certain things that are good for us, but we have a hard time finding the time and energy to get them done on a regular basis. So instead, we do nothing. You know, and, and you go on from there. Uh, small discipline works in a different way. You, you you can't work out for two hours, then how about half hour? You know, this concept. Perfect. I um, can't tell you in in podcasts or retreats or wherever wherever I am with people, and it's something I share with uh, Krishnadas. I think you know who Krishnadas is. Um, and that is... Because people are always asking, and, and there are questions around treading the spiritual path as if there's a spiritual uh -huh. path and a life path, but whatever. It's an easy way to understand what we're talking about. And they, everybody wants to be a better person. They want uh -huh. to be more compassionate and loving to people around them. They want to be more responsible for their lives, et cetera, et cetera. And, but whenever you say, well, you know, the old adage, practice makes perfect, you have, you know, and then 
I catch myself when I do what I just did. You have the, the no. <laughs> Let's say it is efficacious to engage with a way to understand who you are truly a little bit more through whatever means. Yes, it can be a teacher, can be a meditation, can be chanting, can be books, can be whatever, traveling, whatever it is. But when I read this, Daniel, I thought, this is a good Buddhist, Buddha's middle path. If you can't work out for two hours, how about half an hour? And you, you got a meditation, you talk, just three minutes? Can you give us three minutes? <laughs> talk about this, this concept, which I think is very valuable. I think we all struggle with inertia. You know, getting something moving is hard. Change is hard. Mm. Uh, implementing any, you know, you can have the idea, you can love it, but getting to, because it feels daunting sometimes. You feel they have this gigantic task ahead of you. And unless you go through, unless I do A through Z, why am I even going A through B? It's, uh, it's not even going to be worth it. And half of it is an excuse. You know, most of it becomes an excuse not to take the step, not to take a chance, not to risk anything, not to put yourself to the test. And so to me, it's like, if it is scary, or maybe if it's subjectively, you have no time or you have no energy or you have whatever it is, it's like, what's the minimum step that takes you in that direction? What's the, yeah, like you can't meditate an hour, a half, no, can't, uh, 10 minutes, no, it's too much. Can you give me one deep breath? Mm. One deep breath, inhale, exhale, and be present for 15 seconds. That's a start. We can work with that. You know, when you make it a habit of the way, yeah, of course, I can give you 15 seconds. Well, uh, it's nothing. It doesn't even feel like anything. It's like, okay, can we go to two? Can we go? But if you think right away, I need to meditate an hour a day, otherwise it doesn't count, you know, most people are never going to do it. It's too much. It uh, requires too much of a change from their habit, their daily life. They are not used to it. They don't feel they don't have time, whatever. So to me, it's like these mini habits where it's like, okay, you're just taking the one step that gets the journey going. And uh, mm. without even yeah. thinking about the, like there's... Okay. Uh, there's a, a guy I love, was a Zen guy from the 1800s, Teshu. He was both, um, yeah. as, you know, Zen guy, a sword master. And, and one of his stories that at one point he announced that he wanted to copy and in calligraphy the entire Buddhist canon, you know, tens of thousands of pages. And mm -hmm. people are like, how are you ever going to do it? And his answer was one page at a time. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's that idea. If you think about the destination, you're never going to get there. You're never even going to start. But can you give me one page? Can you give me, so for example, one thing I do at home when mm. I don't feel that I have time to work out, like go to the gym for an hour and a half, you know, I'll have uh, maybe my weights sitting outside of my office and uh, I'll be doing email and I'll take a quick break after 10 minutes and do one set. And then I come back and I work more. And as soon as I can catch another break, 15, 10, 20 minutes later, I'll do another. And, you know, you do it throughout the day. So it doesn't feel like you're working out because you're not really taking the time out to work out. But I'm taking these mini breaks that by the time you add them all up at the end of the day, oh, look at that. I actually worked out. 
Mm. But, uh, you know, it, it's another way that if you feel that you have no time or no willpower for it or something, you can sort of circumvent it by tricking yourself, by doing these tiny, mini steps that still move the needle. You yeah, know? And, and I think at the same time, it's all, tr- you know, all this stuff they're finding out, neuroscientists, about the ability to change neurons or the ability to change habitual patterns. Uh-huh. This is part of that. In my mind, you're expressing exactly that. That one step, that one small step goes a long way to uh, to changing that habitual pattern. Now, probably the biggest habitual pattern is just we're outsized, uh, lazy people. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like change sure. and yep. we're lazy. And, yep. it, you know, it's all and, and in our world, which is going so fast, speedier and speedier every moment. It gets more difficult, but the right. I mean, have you bumped into some of the neuroscience that's uh, discovery of, of of what we can act, what can really happen? I've heard it sort of third end the pop culture version of somebody who actually wrote something deep about it that was sort of mm-hmm. translated in a way that was still deep. And I come like three levels later by the time it's the TikTok version, you know. <laughs> so I heard it in uh, that way. But, you know, it seems to confirm the kind of stuff that's more intuitively I'm drawn to that makes sense to me. Okay, I'm going to suggest uh, a book for you. I love to. Altered Traits. Danny Goldman, who we were in India with, and and Uh Danny uh, wrote uh, Emotional Intelligence, a phenomenal book in in its own as well. And Danny did it with Richie, the neuroscientist, whose name, last name I just forgot. But uh, that has exactly, you know, and and this guy really went in and did experiments. He um, he got these, you know, he worked with Tibetan uh, monks in terms of, uh, you know, reading them going into meditative states and displaying compassion or focus or or whatever. I mean, did I cannot believe that I can't remember his last name. Richie Davis, Richard Davis, Uh Richie, Danny Goldman, altered traits yeah it's worth I'll check it out that sounds yeah, great you and everybody else yeah no I, I and i did a podcast with danny on it was really quite so the but the the promise uh of of that potential because in everything that we've been talking about in the last hour this is integral our uh-huh. unwillingness to a accept impermanence change and our and and our uh, lazy kind of and I see it in myself, and we're not oh, talking yeah. about other people. Uh-huh. That that the way in which uh, taking suffering, just handling suffering. When it when like when I go to India, these people know how to suffer. I don't know from nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it rained for like six days in a row and the roof was fucking caving in or something. I mean, it was raining in my room. Uh-huh. I mean, and th- th- so I, I I, tell the guy, what are we going to do here? This is terrible. Yeah. I'm putting all my towels. You got to give me more towels. I got to soak it. You know, that kind of. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 stop. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, we don't uh, know how to do it. It's yeah. nuts. We've lost that ability, which is, again, I think indigenous wisdom gives us some of that perspective back. For sure. 
for sure. I think if that we live in a world that's so far removed from some of the conditions that we have had to deal with for so long, that we are almost uh, spoiled by it, by the lack of immediate feedback from reality. You know, a bunch of things is not going to work this way you want it, and uh, and you still need to find a way to work with it. And it cannot be the end of the world because you don't get your way, you know, or you don't. Yeah. It's like, oh, the universe does not cater to my preferences. Please, waiter, come deal with it. It's like, yeah. it's not the way it works. It's, well, it's immature. I think. And we have that going. And uh, never mind, you know, the the uh, hungry ghost realm, yep. which exists for, for everybody. We all have to deal with it. Now, unfortunately, we have people in power today who are lost uh-huh. in it and have no identity whatsoever except with that demon, a yep. hungry ghost demon, greed and power. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that is like, I don't think you can be in that game, unless you are totally lost in the hungry ghost trail, yeah. you know, it's like Absolutely. you're not gonna be at the top of the political game unless you know you've uh, unless you have already. I'm about, I was about to use the word sold out. It's not even a conscious choice. I think in many cases, I think it just happens naturally. But I think you have become this hungry ghost to begin with. It's like you're not gonna get there, plain and simple. You know, it's yeah. not. Um, and that's the. Really so hard, you know, to realize and you look around and all of these people in these places of power uh-huh. are just, uh, I mean, it's extraordinary what is happening and our collective karma. That's a whole other podcast right. yeah. discussion, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, it is scary. That's why sometimes it feels you know, going back to that sense of powerlessness and disempowerment yeah. is going back to what you can touch and affect right now. You know, it's like, no, maybe I'm not going to make the world a better place tomorrow. But right now I can make my kid happy. Okay, that counts for something. Let's yeah. focus on that at yeah. least a little bit. And it doesn't mean you have to give up on the notion that you're going to have an impact on the larger world. Yeah. But when you feel lost, when you feel like, what can I do? You go through this moment. It's like, okay, take a break from that. Focus on what you can affect right now. Mm. Make somebody happy today. Bring a smile to somebody today. Do something today in the, in the things you mm. can smell, see, and touch that brings something good. And that will also give you energy because it's going to feel good and it's going to give yeah. you energy. So you may want to try again on a larger scale to see. And even if it doesn't go anywhere, you're not crushed by, oh, I'm defeated. I cannot get what I want. It's like, eh. You're getting some wins at least somewhere in your uh, yeah. immediate environment. Yeah, and not to mention connecting with that deeper part of ourselves that absolutely is good. <laughs> You're not a bad person. You're a good person. And we just have to go through a lot of karma, you know, to evolve. Yep. But, you know, evolving is is what it's all about. So, hey, thanks so much. Thank you. Danielle. It's been too long. And I'm so happy that we were able to get together. This and is fun. We'll, uh, uh, people can connect with you through the website. Are you got any a new book coming? What what's you got going? So yeah, actually, I need to find a literary agent because I wrote a novel. It's the first time that I wrote uh, fiction. You know, oh. I, all the time before I always wrote nonfiction. I wrote uh, historical fiction. I've had an absolute blast doing it. Now I need to deal with the less fun part, which yeah. is the. Yes. 
not the creative part, but the yeah. business part of literary agents and publishers mm-hmm. and get this. So that's, so yeah, that's to the next step. I need to find, uh, to click with somebody on the literary agent level, get that going in order well, hopefully to Hopefully it's got publish. some hungry ghost in them together. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, funny. <laughs> Uh, well, everybody, uh, Danielle, thank you. And everybody, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. And I'm going to talk to Danielle about putting some of the wonderful indigenous, uh, especially Crazy Horse, uh-huh. but Sitting Bull as well. I mean, we could have a whole series. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, up on Be Here Now. And uh, meanwhile, we shall see you next time. <laughs>